Hello, and welcome to Loud and Clear, a podcast dedicated to amplifying the voices of women in music. I am your host, Olivia Adams, and today I'm coming to you solo. Starting last week and continuing for the next few weeks, we are talking on the podcast about music and exceptionalities. So this mini-series is somewhat of a happy accident, as I had reached out to some of my colleagues and some researchers and practitioners in the field about coming on and talking about their work, and it just so happened that the timeline worked out that we could do a mini-series talking about musicians with neurodiversities, learning differences, exceptionalities, and limb differences. And so today, I am actually going to be speaking on part of what I've been doing in a little bit of my research that I'm just starting to get into in my PhD, just dipping my toes in the water here, but I'm going to be talking about pianists with limb differences. And so earlier this year, I was working on a project for a feminist pedagogies course, and our term project was to engage with a community mobilization. So my professor, Dr. Nadia Abuzara, encouraged us to look into what she calls backyard research, meaning that it's something that we're connected to, something that we have expertise in, and each week we would have a set of readings and we would discuss them and then we would present our project ideas and sort of see how they were evolving that week and we would bounce ideas off of each other and it was really like a focus group environment. And that class is where this project as part of my research stemmed from. So the project that came out of this class is called Handed to Them Piano Music for Students with Limb Differences. So one day early in October this past year, while scrolling Piano Teacher Canada Facebook group and avoiding homework that I needed to be doing, I saw a pianist, Amy Webster, play a really beautiful arrangement of Somewhere Over the Rainbow for one hand, and it was done by Barbara Ahrens. Now, Amy was raising awareness about music for people with limb differences. She herself had suffered a stroke at a young age and had some paralysis on her left side. I commented on the really beautiful video that Amy had posted and told her that I had students with limb differences in my studio before, and we did a recital to celebrate the many ways that musicians can make music, and we called the project Hand Solo, pianists that single-handedly wow the audience. So this struck up a conversation with Amy. She tagged me in some threads on Facebook that include music for one hand. And I realized that this kept being a theme that popped up and several teachers would comment with their suggestions. But by and large, there was a lack of resources for teachers to turn to for students who had injuries or limb differences. Well, I myself do not have a limb difference. I want to be really clear about that. For a brief period of time following an accident in my second year of university as a piano major, I had a bad concussion and I had a little bit of damage to the nerves in my left arm that caused it to go numb and often lose some feeling. So when I was asking to get accommodations, some professors were extremely forgiving and accommodating. And while others told me, oh, your hand shouldn't look like that, or you should fix that. My pain thankfully only lasted six months thanks to intensive physiotherapy and acupuncture, but uh, many musicians are not so lucky. So when I first began teaching piano, a family friend would come and visit and bring their child who was five years old. The child, I'm going to call them E, was born with an extremely rare genetic mutation and was missing their left hand. E was enthralled with the piano. They would sit on the bench and play and play, often asking for longer and longer piano lessons. I've never met a five-year-old so hungry to learn music, so attentive to everything I taught them. I modified music for them. We played duets and it was tons of fun. And we enjoyed making music together when we could see each other. And then when I moved to London, Ontario to finish my undergrad degree in piano, I taught a student with digit differences, I will call them S, who had mild cerebral palsy and didn't have full use of 
of their right foot and right hand. This student had an incredibly positive outlook on piano and loved to learn music, but had made the decision not to continue with music exams. Previously, they had taken an exam and the examiner made the comment that S's hand looked strange and commented on how they maneuvered the piano without the use of their fourth and fifth fingers. This ignorant comment turned the student off from ever doing piano exams again. Lastly, I've had colleagues whose music making was interrupted or permanently altered due to accident or injury or illness. Now, some of these include strokes, car accidents, and arthritis. Circumstances limit the time that they can spend at their instrument without pain. It affects their stamina and endurance in the practice room, on stage, and in lessons. Sometimes colleagues are met with loving responses, and other times they're met with try harder, push through, or not everyone is cut out for this. Now, these are just a few of the many, many examples that exist where classical music fails to include accommodations for people with limb differences or digit disabilities, whether due to accident, injury, or circumstances of birth. In areas of athletics, classrooms, workplaces, disability accommodations are normalized and even expected. But for whatever reason, classical music is it's not expected. Solutions often posed in teaching groups are play duets, teach them how to improvise, practice scales, and perhaps a few book suggestions. And while these are all fantastic, it doesn't a complete curricula make. There's an older textbook by Donald Patterson called One-Handed, A Guide to Piano Music for One Hand, which is helpful, but it also lacks the pedagogical tools for young and beginning pianists. So it's great for those older, more advanced pianists, but we're missing a lot of pedagogy for the young ones. So my mobilization for the course that I took in feminist pedagogies was the creation of a digital database that can be used by music teachers. I can update it continuously this way as new resources continue to come out, it will be updated. And it's really easy to do if I leave that as a digital database. So the purpose of this project handed to them, piano resources for students with limb differences, is to provide a comprehensive bibliography and resource guide of the materials available for pianists with limb differences. At the moment, accommodations for students with limb differences are not public within Canadian music curriculum for piano, and therefore these musicians face barriers in their ability to compete at music festivals, complete examinations, and earn high school credits in piano. So this project is hopefully the beginning of a much larger mobilization, which looks at the ways in which piano pedagogy can become more accessible for musicians with limb differences and normalize the ways in which we can play piano differently. While I'm not partnering specifically with an organization at the moment. The resources that I'm sharing with you are available on my website, oamusicstudios.ca slash store, and the downloads are 100% free. So, so far I have created a leveled or graded list of piano repertoire, which sits at about 134 piano pieces, but I'm hoping to grow that list. The reason why I chose to level them rather than simply provide a bibliography is because if you know RCM or Conservatory Canada systems, they rely heavily on levels of piano music. So by leveling them, then they're usable for examinations, hopefully in the future here. So the leveling of music helps students to learn music that grab gradually increases in difficulty as their skills improve. And the Canadian system and American system are slightly different from each other. And so most U.S. publishers categorize by primary, early elementary, elementary, late elementary, etc. In the list of single repertoire pieces, I've included a Canadian level, an American level, the composer, the format or book that it's in, whether it's in print or if it's in digital downloads, the publishing company, the hand it's written for, and the URL where applicable. 
So I still have way more resources that I have not yet combed through and added to the database. So the list is going to continue to grow as the project evolves over time. And I'm hoping to then make it searchable by left hand or right hand, or make it searchable by level, making it searchable by genre. That will all come at a later time. Right now, I've just started with a really giant spreadsheet that you can search in. So in addition to the leveled list of piano repertoire, I've curated a list of piano resources that exist for one hand. So this list have included books, publishing companies, composer or arranger, and the URL. And keeping the accessibility piece in mind, I have included links to resources that are public domain that can be found on International Music Score Library Project, so IMSLP or Petrucci. The list of resources currently consists of about, I think it's around 50 books now, that contain options for pianists with limb differences. I've also included PDFs that are screen reader friendly, and I have PDFs with large fonts that can be printed off for those with visual impairments. So as part of this mobilization, this project, I created a YouTube playlist of several of the piano pieces in the database. And it's often really important for a student to have an oral connection to the music. So next week, we are actually going to have an expert on dysmusia come on the podcast and discuss the phenomena of dysmusia. But for those that don't know, dysmusia is often defined as the inability to read a musical score. So next week, Dr. Megan Warrenchak is coming on the podcast to talk about dysmusia and how to best support students with this specific neurodifference. So though the research in dysmusia is young, being coined by Cuddy and Hibbert in only 2006, the research is sound that the students with musical dyslexia experience a difficulty with learning to read the musical staff despite normal intelligence opportunities. It is important to offer both a visual and an oral element for inclusivity purposes. I recognize that learning solutions for students with dysmusia are not only found in recordings, but I wanted to provide the recordings as an option for students who prefer to listen rather than to read the score or to those who might be visually impaired. So I cannot provide recordings for every piece on my list. So then the solution for me was to start a public playlist through a platform like YouTube, which is what I've done, that may perhaps encourage further public participation so that other musicians can then add to that playlist and we can grow it together. So you might be asking, why does this matter? Why did I take on this project? Well, first it's because of my students, like everything in my teaching practice, I do it for my students. I want my students with limb differences and digit differences or any other exceptionalities to have the most possible options for them as musicians. In fact, this is why I did my hand solo recital project with my students where they all played one hand music. I wanted to show them that there's not just one right way to be a musician, everybody can be a musician. So despite the piano being the most popular instrument in North America, according to a study in 2015, there is no comprehensive collection available for students with limb differences, especially at an advancing level. So studies show that the lack of representation within media can lead to poor mental health outcomes in youth. And so when students don't see themselves represented within the curricula, they have reduced chances of success within that field. I've taught several students who have limb and digit differences, and I know the urgency for which repertoire is needed for these students. So for the next couple of minutes, I want to talk a little bit about the evolution of music for one hand. I'm also going to share some of my favorite collections of one hand piano music for teaching. So my colleague and publisher and recent Loud and Clear podcast guest, Deborah Wanless, has done some incredible 
incredible research on the use of music for one hand, the history of it, and she was generous enough to share her work with me. So some of what I'm going to speak on in the next couple of minutes is borrowed from Deborah's research and as paired with my own, and I'm really, really grateful for Deborah's work in this area. One-handed piano music was actually significantly impacted by the Industrial Revolution. It was at this time that the grand piano began to change, and the company Jean-Louis Boisselat and Sons added the sostenuto pedal. So for those who don't know what the sostenuto pedal does, it is the middle pedal on a grand piano, and if you press it down while playing in the bass clef, it will sustain the sounds while allowing you to play up in the treble clef. In 1874, Steinway and Sons added major improvements to the sostenuto pedal, and then after that, it became more mainstream to include the sostenuto pedal. As you can imagine, this greatly increased the range of notes that you could play with just one hand. Deborah Wanless says that there are two categories of one-handed piano music. One, you play it because you have encountered an accident or an injury. So this is the case with some of the most famous one-handed pianists, one of them being Paul Wingenstein, who was an Austrian-American pianist who enlisted in World War I and had to get his right arm amputated because of infection during the war. So this is also how we got Scriabin's works for left hand, the infamous Ravel Concerto for the left hand, and we have pianists like Leon Flescher, who had focal dysphonia and couldn't use one of his hands because of a neurological condition. Then we have the second category, which Wanless calls the creative genius. And this is done for educational purposes, to show off technical mastery of the instrument or to push the boundaries of the instrument and the pianist. There are many composers who wrote for one hand. C.P.E. Bach, Louise Choquette, Alice Alain Charbonnet. Of course, we have the infamous compositions for Yabin, the prelude and nocturne for left hand alone. We have Benjamin Britten's diversions for piano, left hand, and orchestra. We have Carl Cherney's etudes for left hand and also for right hand. And in fact, I have over 130 resources for piano one hand. There, there are so many more books out there that I have not discovered and resources. Other composers that are well known that compose for one hand include Franz Liszt, Camille Saison, uh, Leopold Godowski, Charles Alkin, Richard Strauss, and Prokofiev. So a couple of key events happened to start more of this boom towards one hand handed piano music. And this, of course, was the wars we've already mentioned. We had the Napoleonic Wars. We had the American Civil War. We had World War I and World War II. In 1840, music for left hand only starts to appear in mainstream repertoire. And this was because when Friedrich Kalkbrenner wrote the four-voiced fugue for piano left hand, it was a growing trend in Italy at the time to play with just the left hand. La mano sinistra was a common indication in the score. 99% of the music written for one hand is actually written for the left hand. Paul Wingenstein commissioned a lot of these works for left hand alone following his amputation. And a modern day example is that of Nicholas McCarthy, born without a right hand. When McCarthy was interviewed, he had shared that when auditioning for different conservatories in the UK, he was rejected from one because he, quote, couldn't play two-handed scales, end quote. That was directly from a professor there. Now, when auditioning for the Royal College of Music, he decided that he would at least get in the door before being rejected. So he didn't tell them that he only had one hand. He later went on to graduate from the Royal College of Music, and he is the first one-handed pianist to graduate from there. Teacher and pedagogue Adrian Wiley has done some wonderful work in building up bibliographies for piano one hand, and she writes that, quote, learning piano music for one hand increases the technical facility of that hand and makes it 
more adept in executing accompaniment patterns in two-handed pieces. Another really great quote on one-handed music is by Ivan Ilik, who is a Serbian-born pianist. And he says, playing with both hands masks the deficiencies of each hand until one plays with one hand. Initially, it's like being naked in cold rain. It's like playing a different instrument, end quote. There are so many benefits to learning music for piano one hand, such as voicing, improved staff reading, technical facility, posture, keyboard geography awareness, finger independence, the list goes on. I did the one-handed piano project with my students two years ago, and it taught them so much, and many found collections of music that they thoroughly enjoyed and went on to play their repertoire in competitions, in music festivals, and examinations. So now I'm going to share a few of my very favorite collections of piano music for one hand. I would be totally remiss if I didn't mention that of Deborah Wanless and her collection, A Rainbow of Sound. These are delightful collections of music. There are four books in the series, beginning with preparatory and going up until around grade four, grade five piano music. My students adore these pieces and the books are well-used and well-loved in the studio. You can purchase them at debrawanless.com or at your local music store. The next Next one is the Grand Piano Solos for One Hand by Melody Bobber. They're this beautiful collection of repertoire that makes a welcomed addition to any studio. There are six books in the collection and the repertoire goes from early elementary to late intermediate. Barbara Aaron's One Hand Piano Books 1 and 2 are also fantastic. These ones range from simple elementary pieces to some more challenging and difficult arrangements of music. In the second book, arrangers and composers include Nicholas Sedaris, Alison Matthews, Gareth Brooke, and Clemens Christian Petz, as well as One Hand Pieces by C.P.E. Bach. Vogler, Farinelli, Sartorio. Now I could really go on for a very long time with my favorite collections, but two worth mentioning for younger students are Left Alone and Right On by Joyce Grill. They're excellent, as well as Heather Milne's Let's Play Piano with Left Hand Only, which is more of a method book for going through pieces to help students learn bass clef reading. She uses a lot of hand positions early on in the book, and I use it really as a method for students who need some extra help reading in the bass clef, who might have learned on a different instrument reading in the treble clef or vocally learned reading in the treble clef and are now playing the piano and need to read in the bass clef. So when I was taking this course to develop the database of works, Dr. Nadia Abuzara really emphasized the need for relational accountability. So as I said earlier, the accountability that I have is primarily to students and to my teaching colleagues. While I was not specifically working with any one person to create my catalog of resources, my students were at the forefront of my mind during this whole process. I connected with music teacher Amy Webster, who is drawing awareness to music resources for students with limb differences. Additionally, as I shared before, I wanted to address a need for a compiled list of resources for piano one hand, as it's often a topic that comes up in discussion in online music teaching groups. And then as a registered music teacher, I was also reflecting on what our mission statement is as part of the CFMTA. So two things in our mission statement really stood out to me. As a music teacher, I've committed to fostering the learning of music as an integral part of our lives and also have committed to providing opportunities to enhance musical experiences for all. So to me, that means that there is inclusive resources for students before they come into my studio. I don't want to wait to become more inclusive when a student with exceptionality registers. I want to foster learning conditions that set up students to thrive from even before they sign up for lessons. I believe that through generating more conversations around music for students with limb differences, that it is a part of providing opportunities, fostering music as an integral part of our lives. It shows students 
who may have limb and digit differences or physical disabilities that they belong. They are welcome and their contributions to music are valued as part of the greater music culture. I want to create conditions in which students thrive. So throughout this project, I was able to connect with several publishers and composers about their repertoire for One Hand Piano. I was so grateful to composers Susan Grisdale and Rebecca Maxner of Redleaf Piano Works for each sending me a piece that they wrote for Piano One Hand. Deborah Wanless kindly sent me workshop notes, slides, repertoire guides on the importance of teaching music for one hand, and I was able to use the repertoire guides to add to my list of music for one hand, as well as link to videos and sheet music provided by Deborah. I really wanted to thank Deborah for her work in this area and for helping to normalize teaching music for one hand. Because I'm not part of the disabled community, I wanted to be sure that my project was void of any saviorism mentalities. So when creating the resources, specifically the YouTube playlist, I wanted to be sure that the videos did not just include pianists like myself who don't have physical limitations, but also included pianists with limb differences. So with that in mind, I was able to link to resources, interviews, and videos performed by Andrew McCarthy, who's a concert pianist with one hand, as well as other performers such as Amy Webster and Carter Viss. Through my repertoire searches, I was able to find wonderful recordings, compositions, and arrangements for Piano One Hand that were created by pianists with only one hand. In addition, I wanted to elevate the composers and publishers who are making a conscious effort to create music for Piano One Hand and include it within mainstream repertoire. Because the pieces I have included in my resources are leveled according to Canadian and American repertoire standards, I'm really hoping that these resources will be used by students and teachers, and perhaps one day they're going to be adopted into the conservatory system, but one step at a time. So before we go, I wanted to give you an update on what resources are available on my website. And again, these are free of charge. It's a guide to help you as a teacher and as a musician find resources that suit your needs. And everything is going to be linked in the show notes. So I have a list of books for piano one hand. That is a Google spreadsheet. I have leveled piano scores for one hand, also a Google spreadsheet. I have handed to them alphabetized syllabus as a PDF. I also have a large font PDF. I have the piano music for One Hand YouTube playlist. And I also have other resources that are linked and available on my website under all the One Hand resources. Now for my calls to action. If you have composed a piece for Piano One Hand, please let me know and I will link it in my database so that people can go and purchase it. There are no copies of music shared unless it's public domain, but if you share the title, the composer, the approximate level, and the link for purchase, I will update that in my database. Number two, if you have a video of a piece of one-handed piano music, please send me a message with the link and I can do it for you. The YouTube video does need to be public, so just a little programming note there. And then if you are a composer of piano music, I really encourage you to make the effort to produce a piano piece for one hand so that we can continue to build up a rich collection of music for one hand for all musicians to play. Lastly, if you are a piano teacher or a music teacher, I encourage you to teach piano music for one hand. There are so many benefits to doing this. Students learn better finger independence, voicing, balance, and they can learn that there are so many ways to make music outside of playing with two hands and 10 fingers. And all musicians are welcome as they are. Full stop.
Okay, before we go, today is a special day. It's my birthday. If you could leave me a little birthday present for free by giving this a five-star rating or written review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it really does help people to find the show, even if those aren't the platforms that you listen on. The other thing that really helps us out is if you subscribe and download the podcast. That way we see what podcasts and themes are most popular, and this helps me plan for future episodes. So the download numbers really help us to plan for the future and see what topics are resonating with you as the listeners. As always, I want to give a huge thank you to the Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra for supporting and believing in this podcast and for believing in my research. They have some incredible shows coming up, so I encourage you to check those out on concertstream.tv or check out the live shows by purchasing tickets on the SSO website. Next week, we're back talking about dysmusia with Dr. McGann Warrenchak, and it is a good one. So thanks everyone for tuning in. My name is Olivia Adams. This is Loud and Clear. Okay, to end this episode, I thought it would be fitting to close it off with the piece that really started it all for me that inspired me to start to pursue looking into music for one hand, which is now starting into a bigger project as part of my dissertation research. Like I said, I'm just dipping my toes in at the moment. I've just barely started to look at all of the repertoire that's available. And so really the piece that did it for me was Somewhere Over the Rainbow, arranged by Barbara Ahrens. So unfortunately, I have not had the time to do a full professional recording of this one but I still wanted to close with the recording of Somewhere Over the Rainbow. So what I've done is I have just me in my studio and my field mic and my little video camera have done a recording of Somewhere Over the Rainbow. For now, I felt like it was fitting because it also just encapsulates this dream of this more inclusive, beautiful world. And so here is Somewhere Over the Rainbow. <laughs>